Okay, like I said, we are starting a new sermon series. If you, if you are a guest with us this morning, we especially welcome you. And it's a great time for you to be joining us because we're starting a new series on the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a book toward the end of the Bible. It's a book that nobody really knows who wrote it. We're not even really sure how to classify it. Is it a letter? Is it a sermon? In fact, a lot of scholars have said it's kind of a letter sermon. It's a, it's a written sermon sent to a church. The one thing that we are the most confident in is the context that it was written into. And that's a church filled mostly with Jewish Christians, mostly with people who had a Jewish background. And they are being tempted, whether that temptation is coming from their own selves or from the outside, to turn away from Jesus and to turn back to the Judaism that they're most comfortable with. And the author of the Hebrews tells them that would be a really big mistake. Don't turn away from Jesus. In fact, the biggest thing that he says during the whole book, and really what is repeated throughout over and over, is Jesus is greater. In fact, maybe you saw earlier that we have this logo, Hebrews, and then there's a greater than sign above it. We're going to see that all throughout the summer to remind you Jesus is greater than, and you get to fill in the blank. So, we're going to look at the very beginning of Hebrews. It's going to be an exciting summer, I think, digging into this really rich and wonderful book that is going to show us so much of who Jesus is. So, if you've got a Bible, open it up to the book of Hebrews. You're welcome to use the table of contents in your Bible. That's why it's there. Don't feel ashamed. And now listen to God's Word as I read to us from Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 4. It's also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight today. We pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and soften our hearts that we might see Jesus, that we might see him more clearly, that we might see him greater today. We pray this in his name. Amen. My family and my friends, from time to time, we have played uh, this game. It goes something like this. I'm on one side of a big room like this gym and you're on the other side, it may be a big yard or a field, it's even better if you're really far away. And the game goes like this, is that you're on the other side and I say, hey, do fouts, pots, teas, and the ram tomorrow? And you say, what? And then I say, do fouts, parts, teas, and the ma'am tomorrow? And you, no less confused, say, what? And then I'll slow it down. Make it a little louder. Do fam's parts teats in the fam tomorrow. 
And at this point, either you've given up or I've broken down laughing because it's just this game of I said a bunch of nonsense and you didn't understand what I was saying because it was a bunch of nonsense and ha, 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 now the joke's on you. <clears throat> Franklin Roosevelt actually used to play a game like this. I, I read a story about this, is that he would get so tired of these long receiving lines that he would have at the White House where people would just come through, just hundreds and hundreds of people, and he'd shake hands. And he would try, you know, to say something kind and personable to each person, but they didn't hear anything. I mean, they're shaking hands with the president, right? They're totally zoned out. So he just decided to have this little experiment where this one morning, as everybody came through, he would say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And they would say, we're so proud of you. Keep up the good work. Just didn't hear it at all. A lot of times we have a problem listening, don't we? I mean, you've done this in your own home. Husband or wife or children come in the door, and you're doing this. And just out of habit, you say, hey, how was your day? And then husband or wife or child replies, you know what? Actually, it was a crazy day. Lucy quit, and it's totally thrown everybody off at work. And it's just, I mean, it's going to be awful. I'm super stressed about it. Uh-huh. That's great. We're not really listening, are we? I once performed a wedding uh, with an iPad. And I was telling a pastor friend about this. And I was hoping, you know, that we would have this great discussion about, uh, you know, the use of technology in a wedding service and the benefits and the drawbacks of that. And he just started laughing. And, uh, and he said, oh, I know what you're saying now, but, uh, but when you first said it, I thought you said that you did a wedding with an eye patch, <laughs> like it was a prop, like it was a pirate-themed wedding. And I had brought a parrot, too. Arg, I pronounce your man and wife. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, the commercials for E.F. Hutton, who was a, a stockbroker popular in the 70s and 80s, and they had these great commercials that always ended with this tagline that said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. One of them shows a tennis match, and everybody's at the tennis match, and their eyes, you know, are going back and forth with the ball, boom, boom, back and forth, and then one person in the, in the crowd kind of nudges his buddy, and he said, hey... I was talking to my broker the other day, and, you know, we use E.F. Hutton, and as soon as he says E.F. Hutton, everybody's eyes stop, and they turn on this guy, and the tennis players stop playing, and everybody gets quiet, and everyone is poised, listening, ready for what he's about to say. And then the line, you know, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. The implication is, there's something really important being said here. You need to stop everything that you're doing and listen to what's going on. As we open up the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this, listen, God has spoken. He has spoken through Christ, and it is the most important thing that you could ever hear. Through the clutter of our culture, through the constant noise, through our bad listening, through the ways that we oftentimes just mesmerize ourselves with other things, God has spoken, and it is the most important thing that you could hear. This is, again, the argument that he'll lay out over the course of the entire book. Jesus is greater. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the old covenant. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than anything. It's the message for us, too. Jesus is greater than good family. 
Jesus is greater than fulfilling work. Jesus is greater than emotional wholeness. Jesus is greater than sexual fulfillment. Jesus is greater than uh, people around you who really love you and care for you. Jesus is greater than all of these very good things, all good things. And Jesus, amongst good things, is the greatest. What we're being asked to do is to listen, to listen to Jesus in His greatness. And in these four verses, the author of Hebrews lays out some of the most glorious and elevated descriptions of who Jesus is in the entirety of the Bible. Four verses that are just packed full of this description of who Jesus is. And he's kind of shaking us by our lapels saying, look at who is standing before you. Are you going to listen to him? So we're going to dive into those seven things. It's this like seven-faceted gem that we get to look at with these different angles or a seven-part harmony that is singing of the glory of Christ. You ready? Let's dive in. First thing that we're told is that Jesus is the creator of all things. Look at this in verse 2. He's spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed heir of all things through whom He also created the world. Now, many will tell you, in fact, there are some religions even claiming to be Christian that will say that Jesus is a great man, but just a created man, like you and me, created. The author of the book of Hebrews and the entirety of the Bible disagrees with that statement. What we are told here is that the entirety of the cosmos was created by Christ. Dogs and cats and horses and flies, and mountains, and trees, and oceans, and whales, and clouds, and thunderstorms, and everything else in all of creation was created by Jesus. There are, scientists will say, 200 million insects for every one person on the earth. I was told the other day that there are 10,000 stars in our universe for every grain of sand on the earth. And Jesus created them all. From the entirety of the cosmos that is ever-expanding, scientists will tell you, to the smallest little quark and lepton and atom, Jesus has created them all. What's more, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is not only the creator of all things, but the heir of all things that He is the inheritor of all things, that everything is moving in His direction. All things are to Him and for Him. As great David's greater son, as will be quoted here later in, from Psalm 2, that Jesus is the inheritor of the nations and of the world, that all things are moving in His direction. He is both the beginning and the end. And then look at this, is that He also is the one who upholds things. Verse 4, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So Jesus not only created all and is the heir of all, but Jesus actually upholds everything by the word of His power. His word upholds all of creation. Just as the word of God spoke everything into existence in Genesis 1, we learn here that everything holds together because of the word of Christ. The blood that runs through my veins and yours does so because Jesus upholds it by His Word. 
The sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening because Jesus upholds it by his word. It's good to pause and think, how often do our words have that kind of important power? I mean, we say stuff, and sometimes something happens. But I mean, politicians speak all the time. Sometimes what they say actually comes to pass. Treaties get made, they get broken. I say things, and sometimes people will do it, but rarely is anything upheld by the power of my word. Yet what we learn here in Hebrews is that Jesus upholds it all. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is everything in between. Now, this is good news for us, friends. If Jesus is the beginning and the end and everything in between, that means that there is nothing outside of his sovereign control and his power. There is nothing that does not belong to him. Your manipulative mother and the relationship that you have is not outside of Jesus's renewing and healing and sustaining power. Your dead-feeling marriage is not outside of Jesus' renewing and sustaining power. The relationship you have with your child that you think has no hope at all is not outside of the hope of Jesus' creating and sustaining power. He owns it all. As the theologian Abraham Kuyper has famously said, there's not one square inch of the cosmos that Jesus doesn't look out and say, that's mine. It all belongs to him, which means that as his people, we get to take that all under his lordship, that all of our lives also belongs to him. Work, family, social life, relationships, it is all brought under the lordship of Christ. But it also means that he has it in his good and loving and caring hands. There's nothing in your life that is outside of his control. All right, there's our first three. Let's look kind of at this next set. Number four, we learn that Jesus is the radiance of God. That's what the writer says here. He is the very radiance of God. Now, there's a difference between radiating and reflecting, right? The moon reflects. The sun radiates. And very specifically, we're being told here that Jesus radiates God's glory. That if we want to see God's glory, we actually can look to Jesus to see it. You may remember this spring when we went through the Gospel of Mark, uh, that when, when we read about the transfiguration, remember that? When Jesus took a few of his disciples up on the top of a mountain and something crazy happened, this cloud enveloped the mountain and God started speaking and then Jesus started glowing. These disciples actually saw the glory of God coming from Jesus. He was opening himself up and showing them who he was. They were seeing what we see right here in Hebrews 1 the radiance of the glory of God displayed in Jesus Christ. The fifth thing is actually a lot like that, is that we're also told that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, meaning that Jesus is God, very simply. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. This is the beautiful and confusing sometimes beauty about the Trinity is that Father, Son, and Spirit are one God, united together. They are the same essence and substance, yet they're different persons. Like a, a coin, if you have a, a, a penny in your pocket and you look at it and you see that picture of Abraham Lincoln on the penny, well, that image and the die that actually cast that image 
are two different things, but they're also one, aren't they? They are one because the die that makes the image is the same image. The same with the Trinity. But the point here that we're reading is that Jesus is the one that we get to look to and see what God is like. I love the way that uh, the theologian Michael Reeves says it. He said, there's no, there's no God behind Jesus that's different than Jesus. Let me say it again. There's no God that's behind Jesus that's somehow different than Jesus. Meaning there's not like kind of an angry, curmudgeonly old father God that's like, well, let's send Jesus, you know, just because he's good with people and he smiles a lot, so we'll send Jesus to do all those things. That's not the case. When you open up Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you see God healing people. You see God raising the dead. You see God calling children to himself and eating with tax collectors and sinners. We get to see the beauty, the glory, the radiance of God when we look at Jesus. And then the sixth thing, he is ruling over all. We read there in verse 4 that he sat down, and he didn't just sit down kind of to rest, but he sat at the right hand of the Father, meaning he is enthroned. Jesus has come has died, has been resurrected, has ascended, and now, currently, this moment, is sitting on His throne, ruling all things. This is hard for us Westerners. Again, we don't, we're not accustomed to the idea of kneeling. <laughs> we're also not accustomed to the idea of a king, right? I mean, this is what our country is founded on. We're not going to have a king. If you're a Christian, you have a king. He's a good king. He is the king who rules over all of creation, who rules over all of the cosmos, who is in control of all things, who rules righteously and justly. He is a king whose reign extends everywhere and all time. He is the king who's called us to come and to worship him. So here we have six of these beautiful truths. He is creator of all heir of all, sustainer of all. He is the radiance of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He is the one who rules over all, the good king. Well, these six actually have something in common. You could kind of summarize them all with this word, transcendence. The word transcendence really just means, you know, otherworldliness. It's the description of something that is different than you. If something is transcendent, it means that it's not really temporal. It transcends time and space. It is above. If you've ever been in a, a medieval cathedral, you've experienced transcendence. It's actually the reason they were built the way that they were built. And so that one would walk in and eyes would be lifted up and you would feel the transcendence of God. When we talk about this way that Jesus is displayed here in his cosmic capacity as ruler, as sustainer, as creator, all these things, what we're talking about is the bigness, the transcendence of God. But there's something else about Jesus, too, that the Bible describes. It's a word that we call imminence. This isn't a word that we use often, but it just means nearness, closeness, and the seventh truth about Jesus describes His imminence. Look at the end of verse 4. 
Let me just read some from three. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then this, after making purification for sins, he sat down. See, that idea of purifying sin is Jesus's imminence. That's his drawing near to us. What the Bible says is something that's truly amazing, is that the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, the heir of everything, the ruler of everything, the glory and the representation and the exact imprint of God, that transcendence that is so hard for even us to get our arms around, has come near so that He might actually purify, cleanse, forgive us, that He might come near to our petty talk and our manipulation and our racism and our hatred and our passive aggressiveness and our anger and our desire to have everything revolve around us. Jesus has come near to those things so that He might cleanse us. Mahatma Gandhi was one time asked why he always rode third class on the train with the poorest of the poor and with all the animals. His answer was, because there's no fourth class. Jesus has done Gandhi one better. He's not just come to hang out with us. He's come to be us, to put on our flesh, to take on our brokenness so that He might make us like Him in some way. He's come to be like us so that He can make us like Him. Friends, this is incredible. The transcendent God, the glorious ruler of all, the creator and sustainer of everything has become one of us so that He might save us. So let me ask again, are we listening? If this is the picture of who we have, who's speaking, are we listening? And maybe a better question is this. What's he saying? What's he saying? I think it's actually really simple. I love you. I own everything. I created it all. I sustain it all. I govern it all. Yet I've made myself one like you, that I might forgive you, that I might renew you, that I might raise you to new life with me. Why would I do something like that? Because I love you. Why would the creator of all things go on this mission to recreate things because we've messed it up? Because He loves us. Why would the sustainer of all things sustain the brutal beating and death that He sustained on the cross? Because He loves us. Why would the heir of all things give up all things so that He might become one of us? because He loves us? Why would the ruler of all leave His throne to, as Paul says in Philippians, humble himself, take on the form of a servant, because He loves us? This is what is being broadcast in the first four verses of Hebrews. It's what's broadcast throughout the whole book. It's ringing loudly. Let me just ask, are we listening? Are we listening to that voice? I love you with an everlasting love, or are we listening to the voice that says, yeah, but if I was prettier, people would like me more. 
Are we listening to the voice that says, I've done everything and God to the ends of the earth to show you that I love you? Or are we listening to the voice that says, yeah, but if I was just a little more successful, I would feel more valuable? Are we listening to the voice of Jesus who says, I've left my throne so that you might have it? Or are we listening to the voice that says, yeah, but if I just had some more stuff like my neighbors did, then I would feel a little bit better about myself. Are we listening to this one? Let me say, if, if, you would, if you're here this morning and you would not call yourself a Christian, I hope you've heard me introduce to you who Christ is. He is both glorious and near. He is the one who is worthy of all worship and the one who has called us to himself. He is the one who has laid down his life so that we might have it. Let me invite you to to even just begin a conversation with him this morning. And if you've been a Christian for your whole life, let me invite you also to do the same, to see Jesus as greater today than you saw him yesterday. Because as we grow in Christ, as we mature as Christians, we see Jesus as bigger. There's this fabulous story in one of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia where Lucy, one of the little girls, she's, she's reunited with Aslan, who's the lion, and he's the Christ figure in these books. And she runs to him, and she gives him this huge hug, and she just buries herself in his mane. And then she realizes, man, he seems a lot bigger. So she asks him, Aslan, are you bigger? And he says, yes, it's because you've gotten older. And she says, that doesn't make sense. Are you sure it's not because you've gotten older? He says, no. But the more you grow, the bigger I'll get. That's the way that it's supposed to be for Christians. That the more we grow, the bigger Christ is in our lives. The greater we see him. The more that we see his superiority. The more that we see that he is supreme over all things. The more that we see that he is the great, ultimate thing in our lives. Let me leave you with just one little challenge. How do we listen? If God is calling us to listen as He has spoken through Christ, how do we do it? Well, good news. We've got it right here. He's given us His Word. The author of Hebrews says, God has spoken through the prophets. We have that. He has spoken through His Son. We have that. We have what God wants us to hear. He has given us His Word. He has revealed Himself to us. Now we just simply have to listen. So I'll give you the same little challenge that I've given you before, and I'm giving it to you again because I need to hear it again because I'm not very good at keeping it. Spend 15 minutes, five days a week, reading your Bible and praying, communing with the Lord, engaging Him, listening to Him. I know some of you already do much more than that. But here's just a little bit that we can do. 15 minutes a day, five days a week, engaging and listening to God through His Word and then speaking to Him in prayer. Use one of the study guides that we have back there. That'd be a really helpful piece to help you with this. And listen to the greatness of Jesus displayed in his word. And see him as greater in your hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is um, truly daunting even to be able to lay out uh, the incredible, high, glorious Um, description of who you are that we see in these pages. Uh, We we just want to get our hands around it just a little bit. So Lord, will you open our eyes a little this morning so that we can see you as more glorious, as more in control, as more loving, as more merciful 
just a little bit more than we saw you yesterday? Will you increase in our eyes and in our minds and in our hearts so that we might also increase our worship and our love of you in all that we do? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.